Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Join me in the studio to discuss Monday's interview with Dr. Thad Hicks are my friends and fellow leaders, Jake Sullivan and Molly Bowser. So we're talking about the interview with Thad and what it looks like to lead in an emergency or disaster response setting. And I think there's a lot of really good stuff to discuss here. What were your initial thoughts from the interview? I really enjoyed it. Um, it took me a minute to get into it because it's not really my realm of any experience. Yeah. I don't deal with uh, disasters or emergencies, but it made me realize that we as leaders need to prepare for the unexpected and as much as you can by putting um, putting steps in place to handle stress and to make decisions through stress. Yeah. Jake? I feel like this is recurring for me, but I was very intrigued by the interview the interviewee, especially not that you weren't great as well, but um, the fact that Dr. Hicks is a leader both in being a pioneer of his field and a leader that he's training up new people in the field that he's pioneered. So one of the things that doesn't really relate exactly to the topic, but was maybe something that was more uh, tangential, was how how engaged the students are in the actual work of what they're learning. And I don't think that we always do a great job of that in our educational system. I know there are certain programs where you really have to do that. You know, you have education, you're going to have student teachers and things like that. But do you think that there are, are, are pockets or places where people do a good job of getting students involved in actually doing the things that they're learning about, even if it's not a formal educational setting? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think of Campus Crusades, which is slightly education, but really it's students who have already finished college who go to a different university to lead people and lead groups. And I find that that I find that a very effective way to get people energized and excited while they're learning. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole countercultural field of education. that's experiential education. Yeah. And it's lots of hands on and sometimes even like wilderness stuff that I've got some experience with. But it's there's a lot of of taking people to learn, like actually going on hikes to learn about the plants and the animals and stuff like that. You know, there was a, when I was a senior in high school, you get all this mail, right? You get all this mail from schools and they're trying to attract you and they're all kind of the same, but there was one that was this experiential place where they had like somewhere between like 30 and 40 students and they were talking about their interview process and it seemed like a really cool experience. Actually like looked at that one and at least for a day or part of a day I was like is this something that I'd actually want to do I remember one of their interview questions that they they said that they sometimes ask people was if you could get a great white shark and a grizzly bear in this gelatinous substance in which they could both move like (laughs) equally well which one would win in a fight and I was like oh that's a really good question you know how would you answer that ah I don't know you know I feel like 
I take the grizzly. I, I was about to say, I feel like the squat, I feel like the swatting power of the grizzly could fend off the shark. I feel like in the right situation, you know, you aim at the shark's nose or the eyes, like you got a fighting chance of getting away. I feel like, like probably not, but I like to think that. But with a grizzly bear, like they're, they're going to do it. They're going to do I, it. I feel like the shark would win only because the grizzlies are, I feel like in my head, they're a little bit slower moving. They're a little bit more lumbering. And if they can move equally well, but nah. still at the same pace that they would normally, sharks really fast and their jaws are so, so strong. I would rather be on land running away from a grizzly bear than in the water trying to swim away from a shark. But my goodness, grizzly bears can run fast. They're just in general, <laughs> All right, both but of them are scary. Just for general survival reasons, you don't run from the grizzly bear. You lay down flat and try to keep him from turning you over. You don't run from the shark. You punch him in the face. <laughs> One of these things people survive the attacks of regularly, and it's sharks. Yeah. Grizzly bear always wins. All that to say, experiential education kind of gets you thinking in different ways and definitely is is positive. Did you ever have any times where you uh, sought work as part of your education? I never really sought out work as part of my education. Like internships and things like that, maybe? No, no internships, nothing like that. I did, when I was in Brevard working with some wilderness camps, actually do some experiential education like teaching for lack of a better term, uh, did outdoor stuff, teaching kids about the, the wilderness. Yeah. I feel, cause I feel like internships and, and seeking out relevant jobs when you're in college, whether it's during a summer or during the school year, I feel like that's just one of those things that people don't do enough. And it's, it's totally relevant because you need to have experience going into the workforce. And I feel like we just do a bad job. And all, all this long discussion is to say, I was really excited to hear how Thad and others in that, in that realm are doing a good job of getting students engaged in what they're doing. So that's really all there is there. But here is a question that is pretty broad and could go in any direction, depending on how you answer this. What was one of those things from the interview that was somewhat, um, controversial or grab your attention especially when he said when things are falling apart there has to be someone there to make the hard decisions i was like why can't we all just fall apart though i mean if it's stressful let's just all be stressed together and not worry about making decisions let's wait for the thing to come back or like let's all let it fizzle a little bit and then make a decision but he just i mean and then he said the worst thing you could do is to not make a decision and that scared me because i was like oh but i like to make good decisions <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I think that's a really interesting point and i, I kind of wondered is it better to make a bad decision or no decision i think that in the context he's talking about that's totally relevant but I've also heard a lot of leaders before when you have a lot more time to make good decisions, say that they'd rather make a decision now, even if it's not the best one, than to, to wait. And I, I think that the situation will really help you determine whether or not you need to make an immediate decision or if you can wait a little bit. Because, you know, there's, there's, there's rational decision making, right? Where you're, you're able to sit down and think through the possibilities. I mean, in last week's episode, we talked about how to handle complex situations. And if you get the right people together, it can be done in two to three days. But you really need to make sure that you're getting the right people together and thinking through all the options rather than just making a snap decision. So I, I think that in emergency and disaster situations, that those, those really quick decisions can be vital. And I definitely trust Thad's insight there. I would also be reticent to say that every single good leader is going to be making like 
immediate snap decisions. And that's better than, than waiting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Anything, Jake, that you thought was a, a hot take? All right. So this is a weird one a little bit, I okay. feel like. But the one thing that really caught me was the term that they used for their leaders in the field was incident commander. Like, man, that's something I would put on a business card. There's some power in that that title that just sort of like, I feel like it's easier to take charge when you have a title like that. You got the Subway Sandwich Artists and then the Subway Incident Commander. <laughs> right. I like it. Okay, fair enough. Something that came out from what you just said about making snap decisions and how we often won't have to, but something that I thought about is, do you, as leaders in your own fields, do you hesitate to make hard decisions? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that if a decision is hard, if a decision is something that is going to affect other people, affect yourself, I think it's good to take some time to think about it. Once again, it goes back to how important it is to act immediately. Sometimes you have to limit the information that you consider. You have to limit the people that are involved. You have to, to limit any number of things because the decision needs to be made really fast. But I think a lot of times we do have at least a little bit of time to sit back and to make sure that you're looking at as many angles as possible before you make a decision. Yeah, I'm usually pretty good about the snap decisions. Uh, the hard ones, at least when they're business decisions specifically, when you start to mix in personnel stuff, like when it's actually dealing with people, which sure. a lot of times it is, like it's a bit harder for me to own the spot, figure out somebody should be fired. Like that's one that I have to, and maybe one that I should take more time with. But uh, when it adds stress to other people, sometimes that slows me down. Outside of that, I usually see the angles pretty well. And that's relevant because if it's a if it's a numbers question, if it's a business decision where money's involved, it doesn't necessarily take that long. As long as you have a firm grasp on your business and where you want to go and all that. It, maybe even if you have, if it's like a personal decision, if you know the direction you want to go in your life, uh, does the thing that you're being asked about, that you have to make a decision about, does that thing help you to head down that direction or is it going to to deter you? And I think if you can figure out those types of things, then you could make a quick decision. Uh, but also, I think in those situations, people don't because they're a little like afraid or they don't want to disappoint people. And when that's what's holding you back, I think that's a, that's a, a bad thing. And I think leaders need to become more comfortable with making the best decisions for their organizations, for their people, and to not worry so much about making sure that everyone is happy with them and doesn't get frustrated and angry because at the end of the day, you can't make everyone happy. You need to know what's, what's good for your organization and to make sure you're heading down that path. So if we keep going on this, would you rather make a less than perfect or a less than timely decision? Talk about that a little bit more. Well, if there's probably an exact right moment to make the decision, but yeah. since we're not often going to hit that moment exactly, which side do you err on? Do you prep more and try to make the exact right decision or do you try to get the decision made so that you have time? Yeah, I would say that I'd rather have one that's not quite perfect because as long as it's in the ballpark of being accurate, then you can tweak things. Now, I would hate to make a terrible decision rather than <laughs> making one that maybe is a little late uh, for a lot of situations. But I think as long as you're, as you're getting it in the ballpark, you can definitely tweak as you go. I too often lean towards making decisions too late. I need to lean into making not so perfect decisions, but I'm such a perfectionist and control freak that I I'll wait and wait and wait. And then I make a decision and like my team's like, 
we needed this decision a long time ago, or I end up losing leaders because they're frustrated. So another thing that I think was really interesting that Thad brought up was the industry's willingness and ability and even joy maybe from learning from the mistakes of other people. And it's not that they, they like to see other people fail, but they knew that every time there was some sort of emergency or disaster response, that there would be mistakes and that they'd be able to learn from those. And they saw that as a, a major opportunity rather than, you know, a, a time to, to look down and like call people out. Maybe that's appropriate at times. I don't really know the, that world as well, but they really viewed emergency and disaster responses and the mistakes that would inevitably come from them as an opportunity to learn and to improve. And I really like that. Do you think that we do that enough in other parts of the world? I don't think that we do. I don't think that leaders often ask for feedback or look at other leaders and look at their failings or wins and think, wow, I could really learn something from that. I, I it, I feel like it kind of ebbs and flows though at the same time, depending on what season, like you might be really downtrodden and you're like looking at everybody else's wins. You're like comparing and you're like, Oh, I could definitely do that. Or you look at their failings and you're like, that's my story though. I don't like that. I think we too often shy away from looking at other people's wins or failings as just, that's their own story. That's not our story. Hmm. Yeah. I think they can evaluate after each disaster relief a lot easier because there is a clear, this is done now mm, and yep. maybe there's not it feels like there is a lot of times exit strategies aren't very well defined but i think for us to evaluate things better in other parts of life it might be helpful to have exit strategies uh or endpoints set up evaluations so at subway we do quarterly and annual evaluations. so i have that point of like hey here's what you're doing well here's what you're not doing well and we can work to fix it but sometimes things need to be evaluated in between there. And I'm not good at that because we've got a setup time. We'll talk about it in two months, you know? Yeah. And one thing that, as you were saying that I thought of was the fact that in addition to maybe having clear exit strategies or endpoints, they also develop those after action reports. And that's one thing that they do that I think probably happens in some organizations, but is maybe not quite as, as public there are clear synopses of what happened and what went wrong. I think a lot of times when organizations mess up, they don't want to share that, right? Anytime a leader messes up or someone on a team messes up, that's one of those things that even if, if there's no severe reprimand, it's one of those things that, hey, it's behind us. Let's try to not think about it and everything's going to be okay. I really did appreciate the the focus on not only recognizing but also chronicling what went wrong so that not only they could learn from it, but other people could learn from it. The way that Thad described it, it felt like really an open source way to make sure that each person, each group that has to deal with some sort of emergency or disaster was able to do it better because of the people that came before them. And I thought that was a great way to think about leadership and also just in general enriching an entire community. That kind of brings me to a question of um, how do we as leaders prepare the leaders beneath us? Um, how do we prepare them to handle high stress situations or how do we prepare them for the seasons of busyness that come up? You know, I think jumping out from behind doors, 
<laughs> stressing them out is, Perfect. <laughs> is one of the top ways. Jake, sure. I don't know if you have anything that is uh, less serious, but. I got pretty lucky with Subway. Um, the longest term employee that was there and she's like my anchor. She's been there for 15 plus years. So she has dealt with higher stress before I got there than afterwards. I, at least I think it's less stressful now that I'm there. <laughs> um, as far as new people go, training's important and letting them know if you see it coming, if you're like, Hey, we're going to have a very stressful day. I just this past week had a large group come to the area and we knew they were going to be there. And so I prepped our new people and I was like, Hey, it's going to be busier than you've ever seen it. So just prepare for the stress to double. Yeah. And I think we handled it pretty well. That's good. Yeah. And to add on a more serious note from my previous answer, just having the support and knowing that there's a strong system that kind of underpins what you're doing is helpful because that means when the difficult times do come, they know that they have people to rely on. Cause I think one of the more stressful things is being in a tough situation, but also thinking that you have to do it alone or that there's not uh, leadership at the top that's able to support. Just last night I went out to a restaurant and the power had been out and people were trying to handle all these orders. And I don't know what the leadership's like there, but I know that the team that I observed, they were handling a lot of customers, a lot more than usual. The customers, not all of them were super happy. Some of them, their orders hadn't been entered before they arrived like they expected. And so you have all these people and a lot of nonstop work for the employees and they were all just handling it super well, working together as a team. And I, I don't know if that's a testament to the leadership or there's just a lot of mature people working there or if they were just holding it together and stuff was about to blow up like, you know, an hour later. I don't know. But when I was there, I could tell it was a stressful situation and they were handling it really well. And that's a testament to something. And I'd like to think that leaders at the end of the day have the opportunity to set up that type of culture of support so that when the tough times do come, even if there is stress, you can handle it together as a team. So let's go to this one last question before we end up the discussion episode for this week. There were a few things that Thad talked about as far as, as key things that he wants his students and just emergency disaster response leaders in general to leave with. Uh, the first one was empathy. The second one was compassion. And the third one was thinking fast on your feet. So when it comes to good leadership in the non-emergency disaster relief world, what do you think are some other good leadership traits that you might add on to those? I guess in a in a similar vein of thinking faster on your feet, but adaptability, just yeah. um, being able to switch your mindset depending on the situation. So something he said, doc, Dr. Hicks said in the interview was, um, we need to remember that the people we're working with and working for are hurting people. And I think adaptability kind of looks like that in my realm of leadership where my um, team leads need to be willing to adapt depending on the person they're handling or dealing with. Thinking fast on your feet definitely applies outside as well, because even if it's not a big earth shattering emergency, like we have little emergencies in our everyday life sure. that, that we handle the same way. Um, I also am really big into, I guess, ownership. I like for people to feel invested and to actually not just be there for because they have to, yeah. but because they have some sort of stake in the job that's being done. 
I think that's a great point. And mine, I brought this up in previous episodes, but I think it's connected with that ownership is really a vision and purpose for why they're doing what they're doing. And I think those two go hand in hand. People, whenever they understand what's happening and know why it's happening, even maybe their very particular job that they're doing, how does that actually help to fulfill the mission of the organization? How do they fall into the larger vision? I think that's so key. And when that happens, that ownership can really help to move the needle as far as productivity goes, as far as uh, team dynamics go, and it can be a really powerful thing. So what were your key takeaways for this week's interview with Dr. Thad Hicks? So I had two. The first is make decisions. It is worse to not make one than it is to make a bad one. And then ask for feedback about the decisions you made. Um, Ask a co-leader. It hurts to say the, hey, what did I mess up? What could I do better? Just because you don't necessarily want to know the answer. But if you're making hard decisions to begin with, it's it's much simpler to ask a hard question. Jake? My takeaway was three-part, but it's a process. It's you make the decision. And then you own your mistakes and you evaluate your results. And I think if you cycle that process through, leadership happens. And I have three key takeaways for the day. The first one is to know what leadership traits are needed for your situation. It may be empathy, compassion, and thinking fast on your feet. It may be those things and others. But just for your situation, know what leadership traits are needed. The second one is to think of mistakes primarily as opportunities to learn and improve. And the third one is to prepare yourself now so that when difficulties do come, you're ready to go, especially as a leader. Well, Jake, Molly, thank you so much for joining the podcast this week. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do. One, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, share this episode with someone you think could benefit from it. And three, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will help to make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. 
The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, Business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If Business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon, and until then, keep living and leading wealth.